This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game, while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of Harvesting Nature. Hey everyone, welcome to the Harvesting Nature Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Uh, this is episode 11 we've got going on today, and we've got the pleasure of catching us on Squadcast. We've searched the internet, the bowels of the internet, and found uh, Squadcast, which is a premier uh, remote podcasting service, which is serving our needs very effectively during the uh, during the COVID-19 quarantine. So everybody's facing some challenges, and if you listen to our last episode, uh, the audio, qual- audio quality wasn't quite where I wanted it. So we found some other options, and, and here we are. And actually, personally, I like this one a little better. So we'll just go our usual around the room and do our introductions. Uh, got me, Justin, uh, editor-in-chief over at Harvest Nature, and uh, Colin. <laughs> Want to introduce yourself? Yep, I'm uh, I'm Colin. I'm a honored guest. Yep, honored. Hey, this is uh, Dustin. Welcome back. Corey, managing edi- editor of uh, Harvesting Nature. I guess first off, I want to talk about a little bit of uh, new merchandise. So a lot of our conversation today, we're gonna we're gonna do some what I want to call turkey talk and go over sort of the hunting, cleaning, cooking, and. Uh, kind of project aspect of uh, of turkey hunting and eating wild turkey, which I think is great because this is turkey season. Um, unfortunately, three of the four of us here are unable to go turkey hunting uh, this spring due to some travel restrictions and, and uh, everything that's going on. But regardless, we're still here turkey hunting in spirit. And uh, with that, I want to talk about our little merch we got on as you see we're all wearing these cool harvest nature hats well if you can see us then you can tell but uh I'm rocking a nice little find your wilderness and both dustin and uh uh dustin and colin have the uh the new rope hats on and Corey, when we could see him was wearing our our throwback uh fly fishing harvest nature hatch hat with the leather patch but anyway so just want to throw that out there. Also, to head over to the website, we've got uh, the rope hats, the uh, Find Your Wilderness, the five-panel hats available there, as well as the Turkey Lifestyle shirts. Have you guys seen those? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, yeah, you were talking about the one, right? Like Life Like Over yep. Turkey? We've got the starts from an egg and a chick and then goes to a poult. And, or, no, sorry, egg and chick, 
Then it goes to a Jake. Then it goes to a full-grown Tom. And then it goes to a turkey in a roasting pan. So, nice. yeah. But uh, pretty neat artwork. You can rock your turkey pride. If that's <laughs> yeah, <a thing>. definitely. <laughs> um, looking for some new swag. Yeah, all on the Harvest of Nature site. So, like I said, let's uh, let's dive a little bit into hunting. So, I think a very important thing to uh, talk about when talking about turkey hunting is kind of the preseason, the pregame leading up to it. So, a lot of that, you know, you want to make sure your equipment's good. You want to make sure you're practicing your shooting, uh, practicing good shot placement, using the right ammunition, and calling. So, we have... Uh, two people here today with some turkey calls actually i have one but it's downstairs and i'm really terrible at it so uh <laughs> uh i think it'll stay down there but um colin has been practicing colin you want to tell us about your call and what you've been doing to to practice yeah so uh actually justin you're the one who uh turned me on to this thing which you think you found on amazon or something and yep. it's a uh if you can see it it's just like a it's a slate disc with three uh, three calls on it. It's got a cluck, a purr, and a yelp. And then it kind of has the direction where the wood stick is supposed to go. Uh, and then kind of like the uh, the rhythm that it's supposed to go in. So it's like your three basic calls. And then you, once you get more experience and get better practiced at it, you can take the lid off and uh, use it as just a normal slate, however you want to do it. If you want to rearrange the calls a little bit, kind of add your own twist on them. Um, but I mean, it's pretty simple. It's just, a. I got a little cluck going on. Cluck a yelp. <laughs> At least what I think is a yelp. And then, uh, I haven't really mastered the purr yet, but what Corey was doing earlier, he sounds like he's got a good purr down with his diaphragm call. Clucking and yelping on his call. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what, uh, what kind of call you have? Uh, I just have a mouth diaphragm call, just a cheap one I bought at the sporting goods store. You can get them for like, you know, four or five bucks. And uh, I have a, a wife that gets annoyed very easily when I practice calling. But I have a 15-minute drive <laughs> to work. So uh, that's where I practice calling. And uh, just... <laughs> uh, I've... The first diaphragm call I got was just a simple, like, double read. There's no cuts in it or anything. So uh, those ones are the easiest to get sound out of. But once I got better with that, I got one that has kind of cuts in it to kind of do more of a raspy sound. Um, a little more realistic of what a turkey sounds like. But uh, I, I wouldn't classify myself as an expert caller, though. Or even a good caller. I think a passable, maybe. But uh, I like the diaphragm calls because you don't have to move your hands. You don't have to reach for it or set it down or lose it. It's it's uh, You put it in your mouth. And, uh, and then I have uh, gloves and a face mask from Allen Company that have uh, sleeves right in the top of the gloves or in front of the face mask where you can put the diaphragm calls. So you throw it in there real quick if you need to take it out of your mouth. So that's pretty convenient. That's pretty cool. Is so the it's like a pocket in the gloves or in the face mask? Yeah. Yep, yep. It's like right uh right below your mouth, like where your chin is, there's a couple sleeves that you can throw it in or right on like the back of your hand, there's a couple sleeves that you can slide it right in. So Allen Company cool. makes yeah Allen Com Company makes that stuff. It's it's really convenient. So for other options for calls, you got like box calls, um, and then you have uh, I think one I have it's called I want to say a push button call or push call. I I have one of those. Uh, yeah. Those are pretty. Yeah, uh, pretty I think simple. mine's made by like Primos. Yeah, you just push the rod and it make sure the little wood's got chalk on it and drags across like a little pyramid looking thing and makes a, a yelp or a cluck. 
Yep. I think you're pretty limited in the type of sounds you can make on those calls, though. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I have a diaphragm call. I just haven't got too well-versed in it. Uh, I, too, have a wife who's annoyed by my practicing of turkey calls, so I tend to try to limit my calling. She's also annoyed by my practicing of duck calls and goose calls. <laughs> I think probably more so goose calls. <laughs> uh, that seems to be a, a common theme is uh, annoyance of sig- of significant others by... Uh, yeah, I think so. It's probably just the fact that the the noises aren't really intended for for human ears, and yeah, but it's also half the fun of it too. <laughs> yeah, they they know what they signed up for. Yeah, <laughs> talking about the world of calling, um, how much like what strategies do you guys use for calling? Um, I know me uh, pulled up you know, videos and sound clips and sort of try to imitate those and get a, get kind of a working rhythm, uh, for my calling. (laughs) Well, uh, I've never actually called in any animal, so I'm just going to speak off of what the research that I found was. And I mean, I'm one that likes to, to read a lot and I read the reviews of all the products that I buy and everything and do a lot of research, make sure I'm getting the kind of the best quality and Corey I mean if I'm going really astray here feel free to chime in and tell me that I'm dead wrong but um from everything that I read it said that uh less calling is probably more productive you only need like maybe a few clucks or something along those lines and a purr and then uh wait maybe like 15-20 minutes and then do it again and then as they uh as your target turkey is coming in closer, then you change up your calls to something that might be a little bit more uh, enticing to them. Um, not just like an awareness thing, but more of like an enticing thing. And then you go from there. So uh, the slate call that I have, which is very nicely laid out, I think goes in that order where it's a cluck and then the purr and then the yelp. And so you can kind of time it like that. Um, but I don't know, Corey, you, you, probably have different experiences no, I, I, and I agree yeah I think as you go along the best strategy is the less is more mentality um I'm I'm not an expert by any means I didn't I don't call for myself uh I want the few times I went out in high school um my dad's friend did the calling and then when I went out last year um my one of my good friends is a pretty good turkey hunter and he did the calling for me and um but less is more i know like when you get them going you can get you can get aggressive to get them all worked up like when they're gobbling you cut them off in the middle of gobbling you know with a few yelps and it'll get them all worked up but uh yeah less is more um i use uh, an owl call as like a locating call so we'll uh, go to the property that we think turkeys are you know sitting on and do a couple of owl hoots and get an idea of their location and then um, try to get set up and do you know do some yelps to get them let them know where we're at and i have a crow call i use um so i guess my question as a as a as a never before turkey hunter um so you, you're using other animal calls in order just to kind yep. of find out where they are and then use your turkey call to lure them in? Okay. Yep. I mean, I figured that was the case. I don't see why a, a turkey would be attracted to an owl for any reason, but, I mean, as long as you're not yelling, hey, well, have you ever, Adam, you know, they're probably going to respond to some kind of... It's, it's shock calling. It, like, you, you want them to gobble so you know where they're at so you can get set up on them. And uh, owl call is, is a pretty natural call. Okay. Uh, I think my dad used to use crow calls too, because you can get really loud with those. Um, but uh, I have an owl call, and uh, just hoot on that a few times. If if they're in the area, they'll they'll uh, shock gobble. And and when turkeys are all worked up, they'll gobble just about at any sound, you know, thunder and if you yell yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so I, I use the owl call as a natural call to to kind of locate them, and and then go go from there. Set up set up on them once 
you know, if we're able to find one that responds, we'll go from there. And then when we're set up, you know, do a couple yelps and clucks, let them know where we're at. And then, you know, like you said, wait, wait a while, yeah. do a little bit more. And, you know, as they come in closer, you see them, you kind of change up, get it a little more aggressive. Well, that's good to know. I got, um, I got two fall turkey tags uh, for Oregon this this fall, which I'm moving to Oregon. So I got two tags that I'm looking to fill, and I'm pretty excited about it because I missed my chance this year. Fall turkeys is very, very different than spring turkey. All right, well, that's good to know. Yeah, I was going to say, they're, uh, they're not as vocal in the fall as they are in the spring as far as answering calls. Well, okay. in the in the fall, what you want to do is break up a flock, and uh, and do a key. Learn how to do a key key call, because that's what the uh, the younger turkeys will do to find the the hen. They'll do a key key to to locate each other. So if you go in, do you love me? If, if you go in and break up a flock, and then you get set up, and you do a key key call they'll they'll start uh coming into that um like a lot of i think there's guys out there that have dogs that are specifically trained to break up a flock of turkeys and then they'll set up and like that dog will lay perfectly still and they'll do the key key calls to get everybody or to get the the turkeys to come back in so fall turkey hunting's a little bit is just quite a bit different than spring turkey hunting nice that sounds awesome so learn how to do a key key call. Yeah, I think I I've only ever hunted fall turkey. Not not really successful in the fall uh, when I tried, but I was hunting Southern California, which is kind of like a a really hard uh, spot to hunt turkey in general. But I would also too, Colin, when you get out there, do a little research and figure out what kind of turkey uh, they have out there. That way you know specifically some of the traits. Um, you know, because like the Osceola turkey in Florida they're not as vocal and they don't like a lot of call. Okay. So if we were out hunting here, like we would, we'd put more space in between our calls, um, you know, around like 15 minutes or so. And we may keep calling very minimal. And then all of a sudden, boom, the Turkey may show up and not ever call, uh, back. All right. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I have no idea what kind of turkeys are in Oregon. So yeah, I'm looking what at I just right told now. you was for the um, Eastern Turkey. Um, yeah, I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, so I just did some, I just did some research, uh, quick research. They have Oregon has Merriams and Rio Grande, uh, and it looks like both were, well, Merriams was introduced in 1961, and then the Rio Grande turkeys were introduced in 1975. Um, and then they've got about 10,000 extra turkeys since then that were transplanted all over. Um, but yeah, what I was, what I was saying about the tags was that, um, so I had the two spring tags and then I, I have a fall tag through just the regular licensing process, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's kind of interesting how they work where you buy the one, your first tag for a certain animal. So like turkeys, uh, you can do this bear, I believe mountain lion too. Uh, and then if you want to get a second one. For that same season you just buy another tag where a lot of states will do it where they have a they'll have a season limit where if you buy your deer license you might be able to get two deer or some someplace um, i just thought that was interesting because it's a little bit different than how florida works but uh, it's a pretty nice system to work with so i mean if i feel don't feel like i'm going to get a second bear then i'm not going to buy that second bear tag but i also don't feel like it's going to go to waste if i had that second opportunity yeah that's pretty cool. How are the the prices for resident tags out there? Uh, pretty reasonable. Um, so I'm getting the resident prices through being active duty out there, and I want to say I just put in for the deer, elk, and pronghorn controlled hunts, and I think it's like eight dollars just to put in for it. Um, but then if you don't get one, then you can get the general season tag, which is around thirty. Um, so yeah, it's not bad at all for non-residents. Of course, it's going to be a little bit higher, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so that's actually kind of key. So I, I wanted to talk a little bit about location and um, scouting and a little bit about e-scouting. Um, just because I think those are some, some vital like preseason activities. And I know Colin and I, you, we, uh, we did a little bit of scouting, um, when we were up there, um, up on a wildlife management area and we saw some birds and used the Onyx app to, to mark our spots. So we were kind of starting to lay the ground, uh, groundwork out there. And then we had some, some strategies to get out on, some mountain bikes and try to push back further than uh than some than some hunters could on foot and i think simultaneously Corey also had the same idea and he's been doing some scouting so you you got any any uh good info for us on on your bike scouting oh we i live near the allegheny national forest and uh so there's a lot of uh forest roads that are gated um, that you can walk back or ride your bike back, but you can't take a vehicle back. Um, so we, with a, one of my good friends, Jeremy, um, uh, started scouting on bike so we could get further back in and cover more area. So, I mean, we just go out before sunrise and we ride back, you know, a mile or two and start, you know, hooting the alcohol, see if we can locate them, and then keep riding, you know, as the sun comes up, and then in the mornings, you know, there's only a limited amount of time where they'll, they'll gobble on the roost, and once they fly down, they, 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 they tend to, uh, uh, you know, shut up for, you know, the rest of the morning, so, you know, we'll go get as far back in as we can, and to see if we can, or to, See if we can hear anything. So you guys starting off when it's dark still? Yeah. Um. As it, 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 it twilight. You call it twilight. You know. Once the sun's up, they kind of they kind of go quiet. But yeah, it's pretty dark when we start. It's it's dark when we start. And by the time we get to to the first spot, we want to listen at. Um. It's you know kind of getting gray. Sun's coming up just a little bit. But you try to do it as you know, a little bit before sunrise, um, when they're still on the roost. So is your uh, are you gonna plan once you get into the season? You're gonna bike back as well with your gear. That that's the plan. Um, uh, my my friend Jeremy uh, uh, did that last year. He he got one the first day, uh, but he he rode his bike a few miles in, you know, strapped to his back. And uh, got a bird way back in. He was able to get away from everybody else because, you know, he covered a lot of ground on a mountain bike in a short amount of time. So that's the goal for this year. So we've been out. I've been out with him a handful of times um, on the bike. And then he's been out quite a bit by himself on the bike. And I've been out by myself uh, uh, mostly walking. Um, around the farms that I have permission to hunt on because there's no need to take a bike back in. But doing a lot of, you know, listening in the mornings. And, you know, it's it's nice to start your day really early. And then, you know, I'm, I'm usually home by 8 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, you, you get a good scouting session in by 8 o'clock. Do that every day. Try to locate as many birds and as many properties as possible so you have options once the once the season starts. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think uh, that was kind of our strategy. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Colin, but we just kind of we identified some access points. So the land we were hunting at kind of had a big loop, which was a dirt road, and there were people were still running cattle on the land. So there were gates uh, where you could walk through, um, but they were just posted no uh, no motorized vehicles. So for us, we were like, oh, well, we should be able to hop on there with a with a bicycle and went through the regulations and and there was nothing saying that we couldn't. So, uh, we were going to do that. We just had to be in and out. Um, you know, we had to be out before sunset. We couldn't be, uh, we couldn't be back there. We couldn't do backcountry camping. There was like a designated campground, but I, I think 
the strategy that a lot of hunters have on that area. So you have to draw tags for it to begin with. And then second off, they're, I mean, they're hunting within a mile of the road, uh, probably where they're, you know, driving around and either seeing turkeys or have driven around before and, and have seen turkeys. So, um, yeah, I mean, we saw a bunch. I'm I'm just pulling up my Onyx right now where we marked some of the uh, hen turkeys that we saw. Um, and we saw quite a few around there. So, and that's where I had my permit for also, my um, limited draw permit. Yeah. And so I was kind of bummed that, uh, I mean, they all got shut down pretty much. Yeah, and then, of course, yep. our, our travel restrictions wouldn't let us yeah. go up. <laughs> Yeah, I have two spots, two very different spots that uh, we saw a whole bunch of turkeys in. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Yeah, so um, let's talk a little bit about location. So, like, what we're looking for. Obviously, as you're traveling around, you're moving, you're using those locator calls to get out and uh, to find sort of the proximity of where birds are roosting um, or, you know, previous scouting um but do you guys use any any indicators as far as like e-scouting or like what's a good location for you proximity to water kind of any of those those concepts uh what what um we focus on here is you know the the gobbler wants the his gobble to you know to reach as far as possible so a lot of times um, they'll roost on like points, so up up on a hill, on like a point, and so we'll we'll look at Onyx, uh, with with the topo map up and see where those points are, and uh, and and check those out. You know, see if there's a um, you know a forest road or something that would take that way that we could we could ride the bikes up to, but it, you know, they like to project project their gobbles off those points. You know, reach as many hens as possible. Nice. I think kind of strategy for us uh, down here in Florida, like we don't have both Colin and I being new to sort of hunting birds here is just was one just kind of doing the scouting and visually seeing birds in a certain area and then just marking them. And then sort of go, the plan would be to come back to that area or to push to a general area and, you know, use the bikes and work the locator calls to try to just get within proximity of one. But outside of that, um, topography-wise here in Florida, it's a little more challenging because we don't have quite those places. And, and I think maybe maybe it warrants a little more research on my part uh, into the Osceola turkeys just to kind of figure out kind of more specifics uh of habitat and like proximity and range and stuff like that so but all right so we moved through sort of our our pre-season and now we're we're moving into setup so um talking gear talking like physical setup what you're are using ground blinds decoys um i know probably for us uh decoys just calling and getting set up somewhere where we could use some brush and stuff to kind of cover us up. But, uh, Corey, what's your, what's your general strategy to get set up? Um, uh, we've used decoys once, but I'm not a big fan of decoys. It's another thing to carry into the woods. And if you're kind of doing the running and gunning style, it's one more thing to grab and, and take with you. Um, so, I like to just, so are, you know, I don't take, I don't are typically you, use a blind. Are you pursuing more like on, are you moving more? It, like I said, I haven't been all that successful, so take it with a grain of salt. But, 
you know the the turkeys that we were going after last year it it was like a cat and mouse game and it, it, I, we made a lot of mistakes there there have been times where we should have just sat still for you know an hour but um it i believe it was a smart bird <laughs> but it, it outsmarted us um but we'd hear him gobbling in one spot and we'd get set up and he would come you know 100 yards away and then he'd disappear and we'd hear him gobbling from somewhere else so we would try to set up set up in a different you know a little different location you know and and the, you know the one morning we set up one spot and then he disappeared and so we went and set up another spot, and then he showed up where where we were just at. So he de- he definitely outsmarted us, you know. The bird with an acorn-sized brain outsmarted us. So it was a little it was fun, it was exciting, but a little frustrating. Yeah, the challenging birds to hunt. Um, I've seen them sit on property boundaries, uh, private versus public land, and just kind of sit there either at the fence or, you know, even a post that marks the property boundary to where they're like, I know if I come over this boundary, I'm going to get shot. And it's absolutely frustrating when you get in those scenarios where you feel like you're being outsmarted by, uh, by the bird. And that That's exactly what happened last year. We, uh, we were doing that cat and mouse and, uh, we got up on top of this hill overlooking this stream but on the other side of the stream was posted property and we could hear two gobblers just going back and forth at each other just on the other side of that stream. But we couldn't go there because it was posted. And, you know, I, I pulled out on X and found the landowner information and, and called her up while we we're in the middle of the woods. I'm like, yeah, you th- think we could, uh, you know, get some permission to hunt on your property. And she's like, she just, she couldn't do it for us. So we, we had to let those ones go. Oh, um, so let's talk a little bit about shot placement here. So, well, when we were planning for our South Florida hunt, I was fully prepared to try and hit that thing in the head because I wanted to preserve as much meat as possible. I didn't want to have any, I mean, a, a body kill would probably keep it there. Like I wouldn't. I mean, I guess a headshot wouldn't either, but a body kill would uh, probably put it put it down just as well with a little bit more surface area. But I was fully planning on doing a headshot, so I wouldn't have. I don't want to be biting down on pellets when I'm trying to eat it. Nope. Yeah, and and a lot uh, a lot of body shots you may or may not kill the turkey completely. You may end up getting away and and dying too. So that's that's something to consider. So mostly you're gonna be try to aim towards the head. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yep. If you're bow hunting, they make a, um, a special broadhead for it called the guillotine or guillotine. And it, um, it just has a wide surface area and just, it'll take that thing right off the neck. Yeah. I've seen those things, man. They're pretty vicious. Yeah. I've seen some of those with like four wide blades on it. So it's like, I mean, just get close to the neck and you're going to kill that thing. <laughs> I just heard, uh, heard today i think it's federal ammunition just came out with a new turkey round that's got uh different size shots in it that that performs at sort of different distances more proficiently so i thought that was really interesting because traditionally you think about um the way that shotgun shells are are made that you have kind of the same consistent size shot throughout the shell and uh just the idea of varying shots so it travels at varying velocities and the spread pattern being different stuff like that uh, that was very very intuitive and it it piqued my interest so i'm gonna have to do a little more research on that to try to figure out um figure out what just what's going on with that but yeah and i've heard stuff about like mixed shot loads and um like some of the you might have like a number five in there you might have like a number seven in there just like some kind of mix of of bb size so you kind of as a good all-around tool so that you can use the same load for uh 
close range birds, medium range birds, and long range birds kind of maximize your effectiveness. I mean, I'm not really one to go for like the two in one shampoo and conditioner thing, but uh, I mean, it, you know, sometimes you don't always have time to change out what shell you have. Hey man, don't don't uh, knock the shampoo and conditioner now. I mean, <laughs> hey, it's a it's a frugal option, but uh, you know, I like to I'd like to tame my wavy hair, make sure it looks nice. Here at Harvest in Nature, we are known to cook a variety of wild fish and game in a variety of ways. Probably one of my favorite methods is to cook in a smoker. Traeger Grills has some of the best products out there. Their pellet grills aren't just grills. They're smokers and ovens too. Anything you can do in the oven in your house, you can do on the Traeger. You can make desserts. You can grill steaks. You can use cast iron pans and braise tough cuts. You can allow roasts and briskets to smoke all day until they're tender and delicious. You can even use it to make jerky. Their variety of pellets are also very impressive. The different flavors of wood allow you to pair with your meat or fish or vegetables and give it the most flavor that you can create. They even have varieties created specifically for your next wild fish or game meal. Yeah. All right, so now we're looking at like we we've shot the bird, birds on the ground. So now we're looking at at uh cleaning. So I think cleaning once you have the birds probably like one of the most important things you're looking at aside from actually shooting it because this is going to determine what you're going to do with the bird itself. Uh as far as cooking, so it's the step in between obviously hunting and and cooking, but uh, vitally important, especially as you're in the field and then you move from the field to home and then you're looking, all right, do I want to save the beard? Do I want to save the spurs? Do I want to save the fan? Like what, what all are all the different thoughts that are going through your head are sort of making up your decision in that amount of time. So I think it's good to kind of have a plan in your head going into the hunt to sort of mentally prepare. And, uh, we've got on Harvest of Nature, we've got a a series of videos, three videos. Uh, they aren't ours. They're featured by other people uh, who are producing these. And uh, they go over, I think, three really cool ways to go about cleaning your turkey. And um, one of which is just to kind of completely break the turkey down so you're going to get all the, uh, you're going to break down everything so that you have individual cuts out and you can so- sort of stretch your meal. And then you also have uh, the Steve Rinella's method to pluck and clean a turkey. And then you're going to end up with kind of uh, more of a, a put together bird versus like everything broken down completely. And then uh, I highlighted on there, which I think is a really cool method of cooking if you're going to go completely whole with the bird uh, and pluck it, is to think about doing a a spatchcock. And that's where you're just basically um, removing uh, the the bones and cartilage in the back of the bird, and you're just going to kind of flay it open. And uh, that process is really cool because it it cuts down on your cook time if you want to make a a whole bird. So uh, it's a really neat, really neat set of videos if you want to go through there and browse through that. And all our links and stuff are always posted in our show notes so you can go there and get those. But, uh, Cord, do you have a a preference of what you like to do with with your birds? Uh, As far as cooking or cleaning cleaning because i've never i've never uh killed a bird myself so i uh i don't clean them um i've had birds given to me that were already that were already dressed so i didn't have to do anything and so i have nothing to offer (laughs) some of my successful friends in colorado um i think the first thing that they would do is say, do I want to make like a tail mount or do I just want to eat it? And that, that's a big difference because if you're not trying to save anything, um, I've seen them just cut straight down the breast and like rip it sideways on each side and then cut the wings and then stretch it down around and then cut the feet off. So that's an easy way. 
Um, and then from there, they can just cut the breast meat off. Yeah, I'm, uh, I know there's a lot of people that do that. I'm very weary of that way though, just because I think you, you sacrifice a lot. Um, sort of my plan, uh, I guess going into mine and Colin's turkey hunt was I was going to do a full, uh, a full pluck and, um, but that also I wanted to include, uh, the gizzard, the liver, the heart, which are, you call the giblets. And then I just saw recently, uh, Danielle, who was our guest on our last podcast episode. She just posted an article up on, on Meteor where they talk about cooking the tail and, um, it's a common, as she references, a common thing in the southern United States to uh, to serve the tail with like collard greens or like smoked. But it's a, a really neat, interesting use of it. And uh, I don't guess that would work as well if you're going to do a mount, um, which we can get into a little later. But I still think it's a, it's, it's a pretty cool concept just to try to get the most out of it. And I know Dustin is probably super appealing to you to, to be able to break everything down and, and use all the parts of the turkey. Absolutely. Yeah. She got me turned on to venison tongue tacos. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to see if any, maybe any of the listeners have ever tried, uh, uh, breaking down a turkey, like a pheasant where you stand on the wings and pull the legs. Uh, I'm, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, I, I mean, I imagine if it, it, it must either take a lot of skill or just not be worth it. Otherwise, there'd probably be a lot of people doing that. Yeah, I think probably either just plucking it uh, or just, just you know, cutting, sort of breasting it, taking the thighs out, getting the, the primary cuts out. Is, it seems to be the tried and true method of, of cleaning turkey. Colin, what, what are your thoughts on it? Did you have a game plan going into it about what you wanted to do? If we got a turkey, or uh, yeah, I mean, I was really looking for the, um, I mean, what you, and this might sound a little off, but like what you get from the stores, like that, tur- the whole turkey. I mean, that's kind of what I was going for. I had no idea you could even cook a, a turkey tail, and the picture that Danielle posted was a, uh, not the most appetizing thing, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean it across to her i'm sure it was delicious um you know yeah that's really what i was looking for is just uh looking to bring home that like that whole turkey and make a like a traditional roast out of it um i'm still pretty novice in my my hunting experience so i'm not trying to go do anything crazy you know i'm not going to make turkey stock out of the feet right away um you know i might give that to you or dustin or if you wanted i guess i could mail it to you but uh i call dibs i call dibs on the turkey tails i guess (laughs) yeah that's really what i was going for you know i'm i'm not trying to go nuts with it and do anything outlandish on my first turkey i'm just trying to get like the the very basics down and the basics of the of the hunt down and then also you know be able to, to cook and eat a wild harvested game animal so looking sort of now, now that we're moving through the process, I don't know if you guys have seen what, what I've done here. Uh, we've sort of painted the entire picture for uh, anybody who's interested of, of going all the way through the the process. And I'm sure we've missed some points along the way, but that's what the experts, the super experts are for. Um, but talking cooking... I think we can uh, we can chat about some of the recipes we have on Harvest in Nature. Uh, some of those coming from our very own uh, Corey, who's uh, who's on the line with us, obviously. <laughs> um, what can you tell me about turkey jerky, Corey? Oh, it uh, it came out all right. Um, I used the breast meat, obviously. Um, I the the one time I. I there's so many better things you can do with a turkey than turkey jerky. So I just did it once. Um, I should have put them in the dehydrator a little bit longer, but they came out pretty good. Um, I did uh, Which used our, a few uh, weeks ago smoke a... Used the tacticalories, though, a salt and pepper. Yeah, yeah, it was a salt and pepper turkey jerky. Um 
it uh yeah i put it in my i think that was when when i made that was when i still just had a, an electric smoker so um i put it in there for a couple hours of smoke and uh with the the salt and pepper a salt and pepper why well, i think a cool thing you use the weston jerk board for that well since now we're not affiliated with uh weston that thing was um, very difficult to work with. I did not like it. Um, I have since bought a meat slicer, which makes things so much better. It, you For, know, uh, it, it seemed uh, like a good concept whenever they pitched it, but it just it never stuck well with me. Um, yeah, that the the knife wasn't sharp enough. It was unwielding. It. It was it was hard to handle, and then the um, each side of that board has different depths, but I still felt they were too thick. Each side, even the thinnest thinnest thought side they had was uh, too thick for for my liking for for jerky. Um, but uh, I got a lot of goose breasts that that I made uh, jerky out of. And using a meat slicer to slice those things thin is is really nice. Uh, if you're gonna make a lot of jerky, meat slicer is is the way to go. Yeah, I I would definitely agree with you on that. And I would say one key point with making jerky or anything, you want to par freeze your your meat, whatever you're using, because it's gonna cut better when it's a little bit frozen. You don't want it like completely frozen. But you want it frozen enough that once you cut it, it's not going to start like ripping apart, uh, because that thinness is sort of what makes the jerky, and that allows you to not have to to cure it or dry it or smoke it as long, and then it also just it makes it more palatable. I mean, you don't want to be chewing on a big old chunk of meat you want something that's that's fairly thin and that can either break or, or be digested pretty easily i could see so aside from the the board would you redo would you remake that recipe i guess if you had extra turkey if if i had extra turkey breasts that i uh then then yes i i would probably okay. do it a little bit differently i'm um moving on from the turkey jerky the next one i want to talk about is uh some wild turkey brie puffs which i think is i think a good use of turkey um just because it looks really delicious and i like um any kind that one's from arizada correct yep yep i like those uh anything that involves puff pastries I uh, actually made like some donuts this weekend using some leftover puff pastry that I had, but uh, I think it's really cool. He's using uh, ground turkey, so he's taking uh, whatever extra bits of meat he has left over and putting it through the grinder to get a, a nice grind on it. And then tomatoes, onions, garlic, sauteing all that, and then taking the puff pastries putting it in uh, like cupcake tent or muffin tent, I guess you'd call it, uh, putting that in there and then filling it with the ground meat mixture and then putting brie cheese over the top of it and uh, baking that up. And it's really cool because the, the puff pastry sort of rises up out of the muffin tins and then you just have like a mixture of the the brie cheese and the uh, the ground meat which i think is a uh, was pretty pretty delicious and then last i think probably one of my biggest things is is i keep pushing on and you know we had a whole episode on uh on soups and stews where we touched a lot on stocks but uh i think definitely something to think about if you have the ability to keep the bones even if you're roasting it whole and then you know eating off eating the meat off the bones and stuff like that is saving the bones for a stock or if you're gonna take a whole turkey and you're gonna break it down into individual cuts i think it's really good to 
save those bones and sort of stick to uh, to Dustin's method of, of using everything and really getting the most out of them by taking those bones and whatever bits of meat you have left on the bones, roasting them, and then doing a stock. And we have a nice... Uh, we have a nice stock recipe that's based off of Scoffier, and it calls it calls for like, what's it call for? It calls for I think about twelve pounds of bones, which honestly you could scale that down. Uh, I think all the vegetables in there that list like uh, leek, celery, parsnips, all that stuff you scale down uh, to match whatever poundage you have on the bones and meat, but um. It should be really good. I just went through the last of my turkey stock that I had left over uh, from Thanksgiving and, and used it in, uh, actually to cook rice with. And then before that, I made a, a nice soup uh, with some squash and uh, some coconut milk. And it came out really good. So I encourage you save the bones. We can make the stocks later on. You know, t turkey in general, you think about it, it's not a huge animal, so trying to maximize what you can out of out of what you have is, is sort of a, a big strategy to be super successful and, and really bring light to everything that the, uh, that the turkey has. Another thought that was crossed my mind was uh, using the liver, too. Um, I think it's... Uh, Giannis on meat eater, he's got the the liver pate recipe for the. I think he did like a short video, but I think it's in the meat eater cookbook as well. But they take the liver or a couple liver from turkey and make a nice uh, pate out of it, um, which it's always nice. good, good if you guys are into those sort of pate style style dishes. Yeah, not me personally, but uh, my dad really likes liver pate. And uh, tries to make it every holiday season for the family, and then nobody really eats it, so he's just the only one that ends up eating it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure he'd be uh, more than pleased if you presented him a couple uh, turkey livers next year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll just save them for him if I end up getting one. And then gizzards, you guys, uh, gizzard fans. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'll eat yours if you're not looking. <laughs> Stay away from my gizzards. I've uh, I've never had them, um, but I've I've heard they're pretty tender, pretty delicious. Dustin, what's your uh, what's your favorite way to eat the, eat gizzards? Any gizzards? We can just do chicken gizzards, turkey fried. fried gizzards. Yeah. yeah, fried gizzards. And and what's the what's the texture like? Is it just like a really tender piece of meat, like the uh, the oyster underneath the breast, or uh, a little little chewy? Yeah. Like chewy, yeah, all the gizzards I've had have been up there with the jaw competition. Okay. It's a like really, it. uh, I mean, you think about it, it's a, it's a really stout muscle because uh, it, you know, it's used to crush, crush all the food up before it goes into into the stomach. Yeah, but I've never had turkey gizzards. I've had chicken gizzards before. Uh, my grandpa was a huge fan of them, and would uh, we would often have fried chicken gizzards. But I don't know. I'd be curious to see what other ways there are to to consume or prepare gizzards. I guess. Um, but the last part of our our process here, we've worked our way all the way through now. Is uh, so what are you gonna do with uh? Are you gonna do a mount? You're gonna just pluck it and toss everything. I mean, I guess it depends on on kind of what what you think a good bird is personally i always like the idea of the turkey mount and we have a great step-by-step -step article that goes through um a diy turkey mount um going through prepping everything really you're just using borax push pins some cardboard a hot glue gun uh, a couple shotgun shells and a and a screwdriver and there it is using a, a mount so you can buy different mounts on on the internet or maybe from your local taxidermist or whatever that uh that you can attach everything to once you have the fan set where you like it and cured and the beard and and uh everything dried uh using the the salt and the borax so uh the product in the end is is pretty cool so, 
Uh, definitely, if you're interested in doing a little DIY project after you get your bird, uh, I would encourage you to go take a look at that article. It's a nice little walkthrough, and uh, I know I'd definitely be doing that with mine. I'm I'm uh I'm interested in in the contrast between all the different uh the different fan feathers of the turkeys. You know that the different turkeys have different color or different species of turkeys throughout the U.S. have different uh, the tips of the the feathers are sort of different colored, and uh, I don't know why, but that's that's really appealing to me. So I think it's one of the things that interest people in the in sort of that the grand slam but uh you guys have any any takes on on mounting turkey or fans or whole stuffed if i got one that was was pretty spectacular i'd do a, a fan mount probably keep the the feet the feathers the beard i see colin is like a, a full-on full turkey just like stuffed in his living room you want? You think I would have a full turkey mount? Yeah. Just some bird chilling in my living room. Yep. Yeah, with a motion sensor in its mouth for when you walk by, it can make sounds. Oh, I'm definitely putting like a camera in its eyes, man. That thing's gonna be like a little spy camera. And when you when you, uh, you practice your clucks and purrs, you don't feel so awkward. Yeah, <laughs> I can put it right in front of my front door, and it can look out the window. So any of the mailmen coming up, <laughs> look at his turkey looking at him. Uh, no, you know what, when I was, when we were planning out our hunt up in, uh, South Florida, it's weird to say up in South Florida, <laughs> but, um, uh, I wasn't really thinking about any kind of mount afterwards. Um, I knew that like the fan mounts were a thing, but I don't know. It just never really piqued my interest that much to have not like a, a deer mount would or like a European mount would. Uh, I don't know. I just never thought about like I didn't really want that fan turkey mount uh, hanging up. But I mean, I guess afterwards I would maybe would have thought about it differently. Yeah. So you're not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there's a there's a lot of different ways that people display it too. There's like people make little shelves and they just they take like the metal part of the shotgun casing and the uh, the beard, and they just make like a little lanyard sort of and maybe use the spurs and put those on there too and, you know, not necessarily displaying the fan, but um, some of the full mounts are definitely like, that's pretty cool. Uh, they have some like gobbling. Oh, there's one where a, a turkey is attacking a possum. It's the video of the guy bow hunting in a tree and a turkey jumps up and sits on his bow. Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah. <laughs> I think wasn't didn't it end up being it was like one of his turkeys that he he has like at his house that he raises. I don't know. There, there, a second one jumped up in the tree with him too. So then there's also too I've seen a lot of people using the turkey fans and adding to their decoys to give it a more realistic look. Uh, I think that's um, maybe after after one or two of the same variety, like if I knew I was going to continuously hunt in an area, I would go that route where like my second one, I try to put together the fan and then, then put together a decoy for that. Because I think that's a, that's a very uh, practical use of it. All right, guys. Well, um, you guys have any uh, alibis, misfires? Let's, uh, let's go around. Colin, do you have anything? No, nothing for me. Um, said pretty much everything that I had in my limited experience. Dustin? No, I don't. It was uh, interesting as usual. Yeah, always an adventure. Corey, you got anything for us? I'm good. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Well, um, the only thing I can say is that it was awesome having a little turkey talk. I know all of us, we don't have a great deal of experience, but nonetheless, I think we've, between the four of us, have, have put in some time to do some research and have learned uh, a good deal to get us and other people pointed in a direction to do some turkey hunting, uh, do some cleaning, proper cleaning, and just sort of, I think it was, it's very good that we put the idea uh, out there of sort of thinking ahead 
of all right we're just gonna get out there and shoot the bird so now we're also we're cleaning and we're thinking about how we're gonna clean we're gonna cook it are we gonna save the fan are we gonna use it or we not um I think those may be common factors that people think about sort of after the fact that they're like, man, I wish I would have done it this way. So hopefully people listen to this. It's, it's a good way to, to think about it, uh, to have a little bit of forethought in it. But regardless, uh, it was cool getting to chat with you guys, uh, given the current situation of everything. Um, also, too, uh, for everybody out there listening, Whichever podcast platform you're listening to, go on, give us a, a good review. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Tell us what we're doing right. You can always email us with questions, concerns, or corrections uh, at what's cooking at harvestinnature.com. And then also uh, give us a follow on social media. Don't forget about those cool turkey hunting gear over at the uh, Harvest in Nature store. Anyway, guys, uh, it was great chatting with you. And uh, have a good night. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.